0: Um, We've been uh, in a series, uh, Learning to Dance, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, So far, we've been comparing the fine art of marriage to the fine art of dancing, and um, we've covered the issue of communication and the challenges that are faced in that area. Last week, we covered the issue of complexity. There's layers, right? There's not just one, eh, boom, 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 right, kind of deal. So, um, and just how many layers there are, that's with you and the Lord, all right. There are just more than one dance, so there's more than one arena that affects communication as it goes on. And this week we're going to cover the one that I'm sure we'll all be able to relate to, and that is the problem of pressure. In other words, what happens when you inject pressure into the situation, when you inject pressure into your marriage and pressure into your relationships and pressure into your finances. So we're going to take a look at that. Uh, a lot of things are easy to do until pressure is added, right? If you think about it, it, you can do really good when you're practicing, but then when it's recital time, when it's game time, when it's time to speak in front of a group, things suddenly become a lot more difficult. Like, oh, this is hard. And the same is true for marriage. There's no doubt that the last two years have added a tremendous amount of strain, to a lot of things, right? Uh, we've seen it in businesses, churches, schools. But it's also true that it's added a lot of pressure to our marriages and our families. Being cool under pressure is the desire of everyone, not just believers. Everybody wants to do it. We actually have a way to do it. So let's take a look at how pressure shapes us and influences us particularly in our marriage. But before we do that, let's pray. We need to pray because uh, my wife said, you know, honey, you haven't been on top of your game lately. And, uh, and so I don't come from a position of strength this morning. I come as a fellow traveler in, in this. And like, why did this have to happen here, right? You know, so anyways, any with me, let's pray together. Father, we invite you in with us both here and at home. Lord, we seek you for this morning. We're talking about something that's really hard for us something that uh, knocks us sideways, something that catches us off balance. And Lord, we struggle with it. And, and to be honest, we really don't like it very much. And so uh, when we come to this topic, Lord, the, your spirit has the capacity to give us hope. And your spirit has the capacity to give us insight into how we could come at something differently and lining up with you We just ask that you'd be at work this morning while we go through this, that whether here or at home, uh, you would be connecting with our thoughts and having a conversation with us, and that is the most blessed thing that could happen this morning. So we seek you for that and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, first off, right out of the gate, it is clearly recognized that Jesus handled pressure better than anybody in the history of the world. You cannot read his life and come away without that impression. Uh, he's better than Clint Eastwood. He's better than Girl. He's better than Michael Jordan. He's better than Sully. He's better than 007. He's better than Oprah. He's better than the Gladiator. He's better than Nero. He's better than Mary Poppins. Okay? Jesus had an amazing sense of control and presence. As I said, you can't read the Gospels and you can't come away with the impression that Jesus was the one who knew what was going on. It wasn't Pilate, it wasn't Herod, it wasn't the Pharisees. Jesus had just this sense about him that he was the one in control and they weren't. And yet, when you think about that, he suffered a tremendous amount of injustice. What we would... uh, we would say life was just not fair to Jesus, okay? And it wasn't. And yet his life is recognized as the greatest life ever lived. So let's look at the pressure and look what it tends to do do to us in our life situations. And uh, first of all, before we get an illustration, there's a lot of scripture on this, all right? I'm just gonna cherry pick a few places that most of you will recognize instantly, but they're great reminders this one comes out of Jeremiah, and God is talking to Jeremiah, and he says this. He says to Jeremiah, if you've raised men on foot and they've wearied you, how are you going to compete with horses, or how are you going to run with horses? Right? And if in the safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? In other words, if you're tired and worn out by levels A, what are you going to do when you get to level B? That's kind of what God's asking Jeremiah. If you can't run with men, how in the world are you going to run with horses? If you can't even handle where things are relatively safe, how are you going to handle things in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, for us, that doesn't make any sense because we don't know what the thicket of the Jordan is, but the thicket of the Jordan was this dense, underbrush jungle kind of thing around the Jordan River because all the way up its length because that's where the water was. And the thicket of the Jordan was full of wild beasts, lions and hyenas, bears, snakes in other assorted various stingy bitey things okay that's where they live and so god says if you can't handle it in the good land what are you going to do in the thicket of the jordan when when it gets nasty and god here is talking to jeremiah who we consider one of the great three prophets right you got jeremiah isaiah and ezekiel right those guys uh, really are in the hall of fame but the occasion is, is fascinating the occasion is Uh, at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry, and he starts, and this is his first real big ministry disappointment. He takes a shot, and the shot comes from his family and his hometown. The people he thought he could depend on, and the people he thought he could trust turned on him. And it it rattled him. And God's saying to Jeremiah, if he couldn't handle it when the people from his own town and family had turned on him, What's he gonna do when the real stuff hits? It's thought provoking, isn't it? The last two years have been hard and disconcerting in, in many ways, but how will we respond if things get really tough? It's a fair question, and one that need we need to ready ourselves for and prepare for. Other scripture speaks to this issue of pressure as well. Proverbs sixteen thirty two says this, <clears throat> Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. So God here is talking about the ability to have self-control, the ability to rein it in, the ability to not let it fly. Have you ever wanted to just let it fly with all kinds of unchristian words, right? it, right? kind of thing uh this one is telling us that we have to develop that kind of discipline to not let that happen that we do tremendous amount of damage with our tongues and our mouths when we when we let it loose and that we have to get control over our anger Uh, i have said many times that the number one mismanaged issue in christian homes is anger If you want to know why kids walk away, it's because they see church, but they also see what's at home. And which one is more powerful? The one at home. And when they see that kind of anger unleashed, they just walk and say, it's not real. It's that simple. And Proverbs is loaded with admonitions on this. Um, You can go through Proverbs and find them. Probably the most telling one, though, is not found in Proverbs. It's actually found in Genesis. Cain is wrestling... With this inner turmoil and conflict, read here, anger, uh, it's all over the perceived slight and uh, sense of being slighted by God and God choosing his brother Abel's offering over his and why did he do that and he's upset and it feels like a competition to him. And God comes to him and says this, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The other translations I think I like better because they say it desires to master you. Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to master you, but you must rule over it. In other words, we all have a choice. The idea that I just had to, isn't true we got to confront that one this morning you don't have to you have a choice to react in the holy spirit or to react in the flesh and nine times out of ten it's just slowing down enough that you can hear the holy spirit's voice in that and that's really really important our anger wants to master us as well proverbs has other admonitions look at proverbs 17 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he, and I love this phrase, he who has a cool spirit. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. What's this one saying to us? This one is saying that wisdom realized that sometimes it's better to say less than more. Think of your car. Uh, when you drove in here this morning, it's got a temperature gauge, right? And it starts out cool and then it gets to an operating temperature. But if it goes past that, then your motor runs hot, then it boils over, and then we blow steam. Uh, it's very similar to us. We can run in cool, we can run in operating mode, or we can overheat and blow steam. And nine times out of ten, when we do that, we let it fly with our language. And when we let it fly with our language, <coughs> we do a lot of damage again. So this passage here is saying, the one who restrains his words has knowledge. That means in the heat of the moment, right? In the heat of the moment, restrain your words. He who has a cool spirit, that is, Lord, I'm getting heated up here. Slow me down. Help me center on this. Help me stay cool and not get wound up. Proverbs 10, 19 Kind of backs this up. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. In other words, if you talk a lot, there's going to be sin in there. And, and, right, who's the worst offenders in that, pastors? Who talks a lot for a living? Hello? Yeah, I love this stuff. It's great fun. Okay? When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In other words, uh, learn when to talk, but learn also when to be silent. Learn when to listen. Our tongues merely reflect what's going on in our hearts. But if we can keep our mouth closed, we can limit the damage. Does that make sense? Your heart may be blowing up, but if you can keep your mouth closed, you can limit the damage and not do things that you can't, not say things you can't take back. Right? We've all done that. What do we say? I didn't mean that. Yes, we did. We just didn't mean for it to come out. right? And, and we have to understand that. We're also encouraged to be steadfast in this area. Look at Proverbs 24. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I could do a whole message on that in the future here. right? Because uh, we know the Bible tells us that as the Lord comes, as the end of times comes, as that comes, that people will faint from the signs that they see in the heavens and that we are called to be steadfast. But then it says this, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? And does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay according to... Uh, Repay a man according to his work. This is telling us that we've got to be ready at all times, even under pressure, especially under pressure. We've got to be ready at all times to give a word about the hope that lies within us. But that passage, what does it say? Be ready to give a word, but with gentleness and grace, right? Notice that's the same theme or tone that we've been talking where And when it comes to that kind of tone, nowhere is that more true than in marriage. You were kind of wondering when I get back to that, right? Okay, here we are. Nowhere is that more true than when it comes to marriage. Now, normally we can. Normally we'll smile, right? Uh, We'll pause, we'll pray, and we do pretty well. But there is an element that gets injected into the situation that causes us real problems, as I mentioned earlier. And it doesn't matter if you're single, it doesn't matter if you're married, it doesn't matter if you're young, old, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. That element, that element is pressure. When it goes, the lid goes on and the pressure builds. Pressure increases the intensity. Pressure ratchets up the volume. Pressure compresses the emotions. The simple fact of the matter is that pressure can make things really ugly really quick. You ever had one just blow up on you and before you knew it happened, wow, and you're sitting on the other side of the house going, what the heck just happened, right? And it takes a while to sort through that. Again, our greatest example how to do this right is Jesus, and we're going to look at him in a minute, but there is an illustration that I've used over the years that's been really helpful, and <clears throat> the staff actually felt that there's so many of us new, and uh, to Northview, that it'd be really good to walk through again, and so I want to take you back through a illustration that comes out of working in a dairy factory in Wisconsin. It's in Denmark, Wisconsin. It's the place where I was saved, and uh, in there, we made cheese and butter, and uh, when we were making cheese and butter, we had... Um, pipes, and so what I want to talk about this morning is there's two basic kind of operating modes, all right? Uh, Hardware, if you want to talk about. One is social. Social is like we're here at church. We want to be nice to each other, have it work out. You come to our house, we want to have a barbecue. We want to handle that well, right? That kind of stuff. The other one is crisis. Under crisis, we shift gears, and we'll talk about that in a second and show you how that works. But uh, when I worked in the factory. We ran anywhere from one to three-inch stainless steel pipe, and we ran steam through that, all right? You have to have steam to make all that stuff work. And uh, when we were in uh, the cleanup mode, which is basically the social mode that we're talking about here, um, under the, the cleanup mode, we were running about 400 pounds per square inch through that pipe. That's not a lot for pipe. That's basically right? You're just cleaning it out, making sure it's clean, getting rid of the butter, the grease, and that kind of stuff. But when we were in production, when we were actually making the stuff, we were running 1,600 pounds per square inch through that pipe, All right? Now, at 1,600 pounds per square inch, if there is any corrosion, if there's a loose coupling, if there's a crack or a weakness in the pipe, what's going to happen? <laughs> right? And that would often happen, and you'd hear guys yell and run because it was really easy to get second or third degree burns from that stuff really quickly. And so I want to use that illustration. So here is a picture of a pipe. All of us think of yourself as having a certain God-given capacity. All right, In your personality, in your emotions, and that kind of stuff, we don't all have the same amount. We all have different personalities, different wavelengths, different ways we come, but all of us have a God-given capacity. And the pipe works pretty well. Uh, You can see there's a valve on there, and so the stuff flows through. Now, life has a way of closing that valve, and so um, we're going to use one here that most of us will be familiar with. We'll just talk about premarital sex. What does God say about premarital sex? He says, don't do that, right? Uh, Lots of people don't pay attention to that at all. And we just blow through. Well, what's happening here? I want you to understand that when God closes something, creates pressure in your life, it's because he's for you, not against you. What does God know about us that we don't know about us? He knows that there are cracks or weak points or fail places in that pipe, you can see the pipe now, I see the cracks in it, right, all of us have these cracks that exist, and so God wants to reveal those to us before we get married, so that when we get married, we don't carry those cracks into the marriage, because if you add your cracks to your partner's cracks, right, your husband or wife, that's going to create more of a blow-up, more of a So. <clears throat> With this pipe, God says no. Now, a lot of people just kind of blow through that. And they go, neener, neener, neener. God doesn't always talk about. But then they get married. Okay, when you're married, does anybody care if you have sex? No. Does anybody care how often you have sex? You're looking very stiff and uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Does anybody care how often you have sex? No. Does they even care how you have sex? Not really. That you know the next thing is, hey, where's my grandkids? Let's get going. You know, you need a bottle of wine? What? Can we help? You know, hey, we want grandkids. All right, so what happens is this great we're getting away with something suddenly is not getting away with anything at all. And then we go, oh, now there's real choices to be made and we start running into the cracks. Hey, go to the next slide, Susan, thank you. All right, so what God wants to do is he wants to reveal those cracks to us, preferably before we get married. Usually we find out this after. But then he wants to take our, the beloved Holy Spirit. I just don't think we have a great enough appreciation for the greatness, the gentleness, the kindness, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So good. So good so many times in so many ways. But he will come and what he wants to do is fix that crack and turn it from a fruit of the flesh to a fruit of the spirit, all right? So you can see here, uh, you look, what's the opposite? We just grabbed some basic cracks. Any of of you recognize those flaws in the pipe? Right? Yes, we do. And so, um, and don't say because you're at home and online you can't see them. They're very clear. They're up there, all right? So what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do then is take that and turn that into a fruit of the Spirit. So for example, what's the opposite of anger? Peace. Does the peace of a home matter? Oh yes, it does. Big time, right? Okay. What's the opposite of being mean? Okay. Being gentle or kind, right? Kindness or gentleness is not weakness. It's abs- actually... manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's known as the fruit of the Spirit, right? What's the opposite there of selfish, right? Anybody ever run into your own selfishness in marriage? No, right? What's the opposite? Well, being loving, right? Loving is being other-centered and taking their thoughts into comparison. What's the opposite of being impatient? The one we all love. Yeah, patience. Of course, we we have truckloads of that, right? Yep, never have a problem with that in marriage. Uh, What's the opposite of being lazy? Motivated. Is it it easy to be lazy in marriage and get by with the minimum and just scoot by? Sure it is, right? It's hard to stay in the Word. It's hard to stay reading. It's hard to stay motivated. And and you have to actually work at it. The last one we got up there, what's the opposite of being envious? By the way, does envy ever work in marriage? Sandy says no. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> What's the opposite of being envious? Trusting, right? Instead of envying each other, trusting each other and working with each other. In other words, can you see here that the Holy Spirit, number one, knows what the particular cracks in your capacity pipe are. And He also knows what the opposite of that needs to be and he's willing to work with all of us to move us and again this this you don't have to be married for this this is brilliant stuff to get on top of while you're single okay this is brilliant stuff to start on before another person ever comes in your life so if you're single here this morning listen to me let God work on this before you get married Uh, because we this is what I walk couples through in premarriage counseling and they're like Oh, right? We should have worked on that earlier. So what God's trying to do by closing off that valve before we are married is to get us to work on these things. Now, once you're married, that, that valve opens up again, right? But here's the point. There are other valves that that come into play. In other words, there's that's one that God uses artificially to set up the process, right? It's kind of his way of catching our attention. But there are other ones after you're married that come along. For example, uh, there are health things that come along, right? Any of you run into some health things that really throw off the rhythm of your marriage? Yeah, it's, it's a, a brutal deal. And some of them don't go away in one or two days. Any, any of you been there, done that, right? You're, you're there, wow. Had not anticipated that. Okay. Hit the next one, Susan. Finances. <laughs> nobody's ever run into this one. This one never causes any pressure. We always pray godly and know exactly what to do and respond in the spirit in the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? No, 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 no. This one cranks it up, right? The number one issue over which couples fight is finances. But when they're fighting about finances, they're not fighting about money. They're fighting about value. They're fighting about opportunities. They're fighting about options. They're fighting about f- future, right? Common vision. And so that, that one goes on. Hit the next one then. Next one, disasters. By the way, any of, any of you run down to the water yesterday to see if you could see the tsunami? <laughs> Stay away from the water. We got to go see this thing, right? Yeah. We're great. It's it's good. But <clears throat> there are disasters. For example, I know a number of people whose homes have burnt down. They went away for a night, came back, and they had nothing left. I mean, just think of those people in Tennessee and Kentucky, right? We, they've got snow. They've got freezing. Te- their homes have been obliterated for blocks. Do you think it's all back to normal for them? I, not on your life. They will never be the same. All their mementos, all their treasures, all the stuff they saved up, gone. Can't even find it. Right? Do you think that would have an effect? It does. Right? We we have that here in terms of we live in an earthquake zone. I know that sits in the back of our brains. You know? We 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 wrestle with that. And so there are things that can come along, COVID is a disaster. We are in the midst of something like that right now. And when you're in the midst of that, you cannot do anything to get out of it. The point is not can you get out of it. The point is how, who are you and how are you when you're in it? How do you handle it? Okay. When these hit, and they will hit during the course of marriage. Am I speaking the truth here or what? Hello, do I get an amen? amen. Yes, thank you. Okay, so we're on the same, same page it's just easy to buckle under the pressure and resort to what we learned. You know, when you think of crisis <clears throat> growing up, who did you learn crisis from? Your mom and dad, okay? If you had a mom and dad, if you grew up in a divorce home, you suddenly really leveraged because you're missing a whole major source of input and you don't know if home is healthy or not. How many of you grew up and said, man, I had the most normal family growing up, and then 40 years back later and go, not so much? Wow, I had no idea. Our family was really weird, (laughs) right? And you're like, what what in the world? But the reality is, is that you learn crisis from your parents. Who did your parents learn crisis from? Their parents. Who did they learn crisis from? Their parents. So there is this generational train coming down the tracks. Uh, let's just take our country, for example. If you go back four generations, it takes you back to the Civil War. Weird, huh? But what do you think there was some brokenness with the Civil War in the United States of America? I guarantee you there was, right? We didn't even think the Union would last. That generation came up. And they grew and they came and they came into the 1900s and then you had World War I. Then you had the Spanish flu, World War I, 1914, Spanish flu epidemic, 1916, then you had what? Come next, Great Depression. That generation lived through the Great Depression. Then what came next? World War II. Then what came next? Korean War, the Forgotten War. Uh, Just read a book on it like, my gosh, my gosh. Then what? Vietnam, right? <clears throat> and you, you start looking at what each generation came through, and you look at your parents and go, why is my dad like that? He's like that because of what they went through, right? My dad, if you went in the garage, you opened the garage door, the side door, had a, a, a bunch of shelves, right? Boxes he put together, shelves, and it held every nail, every screw, Every piece of metal, every piece of wire that he could save. And I asked him one day, why do you keep all that junk? He says, you never know when you'll need it. Any of you grow up with that? Across the room, right? Yes, you did. That shaped, okay? That shaped them and it shaped us. So when we're talking about this, realize that there are things that you're battling that are generational coming down the tracks and you've got to think that through because all of a sudden you know when this all pops up right about when you hit 50 years old 45 to 50 you know how many people start seeking counseling at 45 to 50 because they start realizing i messed up i am not handling this right what is wrong with me and they've never stopped long enough to look all right so that's good news uh, you're not amending on that. Okay, <laughs> so there we go. But here's the thing. So, when these hit, and, and they, they do and they will hit uh, over the course of it, it's just easy to buckle under the pressure and resort to what we learned from our parents. That is not always bad and it's not always good. The question is is it from the Holy Spirit? Did you learn healthy patterns? Old, and usually, the patterns are of the old man and the flesh. <clears throat> what do these look like? Well, I didn't want to leave you guessing this morning. So in his book, Love Busters, Willard Harley, uh, it's a, a great book, but he lists these things. And, and under pressure, what do we re- usually resort to? Here's what he says we usually resort to. Number one, selfish demands. Okay? I want what I want when I want it and I really don't care if it hurts you. Number two, disrespectful judgments. You are such an idiot. Things like that. Number three, angry outbursts. What do we call angry outbursts in a, a two-year-old? Temper tantrums. Do adults ever throw temper tantrums? Oh, yes, we do. Okay? Bible calls them angry outbursts. The Bible says they are sinful and to be avoided. Number five, annoying habits. This is where you know you're doing something particularly that bugs your partner, but you keep doing it anyways, just to kind of get their goat, okay? Why do you do that? Because this is the way I am, okay. Instead of, well, you know, could you adjust a little bit with the Holy Spirit, right? No. And then the six is independent behavior, Uh not acting like a team player, not acting like you're on a team, just acting like, I'm gonna mean, do this. You see this all the time with couples, uh, uh, a, a husband will come home and say, honey, there was a deal at Lowe's and I bought a brand new, they had a circular saw, an impact driver, and it's, and I, I just, I had to do it. Well, what about our budget? Well, yeah, but it was on sale. I saved us money, okay, right? And gals, of course, we can do that shopping, right? I saved you so much money today, honey. <laughs> You will be so proud of me. Yeah, okay. Now, these are incredible. If you look at that list, we know this is an incredibly damaging to any relationship, but especially to the marriage relationship. Uh, Notice how pressure has a tendency to bring out the worst in us. And in all of these, notice, there's one common denominator. What's that common denominator in all six of those? Our tongue. Yeah, our tongue. Our speech, our mouth. It comes from our heart. comes from our tongue. James tells us this. Now put all this in context and look at James again, and you'll love to hate this verse. (laughs) Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I personally had God speak this verse to me at a camp when I had just about blown the whole camp. All It was not a lot of fun. I imagine he's said a few things to you on this topic at all. If you go to James chapter 3, the whole subject is on the tongue, and it's worth a read. But there's a bigger question this morning that I want to leave some because you're going, Steve, I'm not feeling very hopeful or very good. As a matter of fact, I wish I hadn't come. Uh, You make me feel terrible. There is a good side, okay? Here's a good side. The question is, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? He's our model. He's our hero. He's our... He's who we look to, right? He's who we believe in. So the question would be, how did Jesus himself do it? <clears throat> and we know uh, that we have our struggles and failures in this area. How was he able to handle such distress and opposition and accusation? Well, let's, let's wrap up with this. And uh, here's what I did this morning. I did not go and grab a whole bunch of scriptures that prove the point I'm making you know where they are, right? So I'm gonna make the point and I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit light up the the passages in your mind and you can go look them up because it's highly likely that in one of these points, God is gonna speak to you this morning and he's gonna take you to a scripture and that's where you and him are supposed to land. That is not where everybody else is supposed to land. That's just with you and him. So if God brings one up, make sure you write it down and make sure you look it up this afternoon. So here's, how did Jesus do it? Well, first of all, he sought his heavenly father often. You get this as soon as you start reading through the gospels. Uh, the disciples wake up. Jesus, early in the morning, which means it was still dark, went out and he went out to pray and to be with his father. And the disciples like, where'd he go? And they go hunting around town. They go hunting. They found him out in the wilderness praying. And you find that, that repeated over and over and over again. Jesus sought his father in all the stuff that was going to happen in the days that uh, he was going to do stuff. (coughs) He would go with his father and check signals. And so I think that that is uh, a good one. Secondly, Jesus knew his Old Testament. Don't ever kid yourself. Jesus could pop off scripture like popcorn. It was crazy. He pulled mostly from the book of Deuteronomy but he pulled from Isaiah, he pulled from Proverbs, he pulled from Psalms, he pulled from the prophets, he knew his word, and he knew it inside and out, and when they came and tried to trap him with it, what did he do, he flipped it on him, masterful, I mean, some of the places are so cool, you just go, oh, how did he think of that, that's incredible, okay, Um, it's just, but he knew, and again, Reading through the Bible. I don't care what form you do it in. I don't care if you do it from uh, beginning to end like I do or if you do old and new or if you reading through the New Testament. I don't care how you do it, but being in the Word, I want to suggest 2022. I don't know why, but listen to me. We are going to need to be in the Word in 2022. Just That's my gut level feeling as your pastor, and I'm just telling you, If you're not, start. It it just matters. Start with the New Testament. Just read through the New Testament. Get the the bigger scope of it so that you know the context of everything. Scripture is its own best... um, it, It qualifies itself, right? Scripture tells you what Scripture means. And if you read through, that's your best way to know it. So I just want to encourage us again. Jesus did it. We should do it. Remember, Jesus grew up in synagogue. Okay? He knew what, he knew. his Old Testament. Number three, this one I think is really key and we underestimate it. He trusted the insights that were given to him by the Holy Spirit. A lot of times you see Jesus going one way, he goes another way, changes course of direction. Um, he says things, right? He goes in the opposite direction you think he should, right? They're there, he says, okay, let's go back to Well, they're just trying to kill you. Yeah, that's okay, walk in the light, here we go. When he was saying walk in the light, what was he talking about? walk in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the light, right? Jesus is the light. The Father's the light. Light is a symbol of God. Darkness is a symbol of hell. And so Jesus would listen to the Holy Spirit and follow the instincts and the intuitions that, that he got from him. Number four, Under pressure, Jesus would often do something that's really fascinating. He would often, when he was asked a question, he would often ask a question. He didn't feel like he had to immediately answer. So, for example, they came to him. Here's a classic one. Hey, Jesus, you're so up and mighty and such a holy man and all this kind of stuff. Uh, John's baptism, okay? Or, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. What authority do you teach this in? Who gave you the authority to teach? And Jesus said, okay, let me ask you a question. Well, what is it? John's baptism. It, it Was that from man or from God? Right? Well, if we say from man, they're going to stone us. But if we say from God, then they'll say, well, why didn't you listen to him? Rats. So they came up with the, the biggest cop-out in Scripture. We don't know. We don't know. And Jesus says, well, then neither do I tell you. He didn't feel any pressure. He, he diffused the whole thing with another question, right? And often, um, that is a good skill to have when we are in controversy or under pressure is to think through questions that help play the thing out. Number five, I think this is the most important one. He knew his mission. Jesus knew why he was here. It was really clear to him long before it was clear to anybody else. He knew exactly what he had agreed to with the Father. He knew exactly what he had to carry out. He knew exactly what it was going to entail. And he, here's the point. Listen to me. He fully trusted his heavenly Father with the outcome. He fully trusted the heavenly Father with the outcome. And that's where I think these. we can quickly go through these. We should seek our Heavenly Father often, right? Think about your prayer time. Think about when you pray. Think about how you pray. How could you do it better? Number two, we should know our Bible. It's not good enough to say, well, it's somewhere in the Bible. Where? I don't know. doesn't help, okay? And there's things we say that are in the Bible that aren't, like God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. But people quote that as the Bible all the time. Okay, that's American. That's not biblical. Number three, we need to trust the insights from the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, I will give you something that might be helpful, but you should have either a pad and a pen and paper or uh, a simple recording device. I, don't, I, You know, now we can use our phones. You, some of you know how to do this. I don't. Uh, but when you get an insight from the Holy Spirit, you should write it down or record it. Because that, that's really important. And what happens, sometimes we, we sleep, we're sleeping, we wake up, God is speaking to us, and we write it down. When you fall asleep, when you wake up in the morning, you can look at what you wrote down and be reminded. If you don't write it down, you go, man, that was good. I can't remember what it was. How many, how many times does the Holy Spirit speak to us and we forget? We just forget. That's really impolite. Right? I mean, if you're talking about having a relationship with God, that's just really impolite. So record when when you sense the Holy Spirit talking, record, write it down. Uh, Learn to ask questions is a great diffuser when pressure hits. And then, no matter what, we need to know our mission as well. People are going to blow up on us. People are not going to like the fact that you claim the name of Christ. They're not going to be happy with you. And so we've got to figure out what our mission is and stick with that regardless of how people respond to it. That's what Jesus did. That's what we need to do. So uh, we'll cover more, but uh, I think that's enough for this morning. I hope that's really helpful, family, online, and uh, let's pray, all right? Father, thank you so much for uh, the illustration of the pipes in the factory, and thank you so much for um, those, those illustrations. As I pause this morning, we are under pressure, but not, not the kind of pressure Jeremiah was and certainly not the kind of pressure Jesus, you yourself went through. But we are under pressure and it has affected our marriages and a lot of our skill sets have been crippled by how we learn crisis from our families. We'll just put it on the table that way before you. We'd ask for your help. Ask for your help to respond the way you'd respond and to learn to not speak right away, but be uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Lord, uh, we are quick to anger. And we ask that you'd help diffuse that. We pray that would make a difference and we give that to you in your name. Amen.